The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelinch. Together, we share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we will respond to a listener question or comment. So please let us know what's on your mind. We would love to hear from you. Today's show is titled God Awareness. In addiction recovery, we learn that not only do we need a higher power in our lives, but that we need to make, quote, conscious contact with that power. For many who are new to a spiritual way of living, this can feel like an insurmountable task. What if I don't believe in God? And even if I do, how is it possible to be in contact with God consciously? Today, we want to share a path to peace through prayer and meditation and the experience of God in our lives. So we'll begin today by sharing our own experiences of isolation, and then we'll move into the solution of prayer and meditation. And after the break, we'll share exactly how prayer and meditation helped us to move from isolation to greater peace in our lives. So Dan, what was your experience of isolation on your recovery path? What I remember is that it, I, I wouldn't describe it as peaceful. I mean, it was certainly quiet, you know, in a way. It was solitary, um, which kind of from the outside, I guess, could look like peace. But, you know, it also had with it a lot of um, anxiety and depression and worrying about things and just having that um, sort of solitary way of relating to the world in some ways, you know, I wasn't a hermit or anything. I didn't live on a desert (laughs) Island by myself, but um, I know that any of us who have been there understand what I mean. You know, especially after we uh, begin to heal on a recovery path, um, we, I know that I experienced a way of being in the world that was markedly different from the way I had been before, even if, like I'm saying, it, it it may have looked somewhat similar 
from the outside internally it was it was definitely totally different so isolation you know looked like quiet not peaceful a lot of anxiety and depression mixed in there okay well i know you're gonna know that i'm gonna tell you that mine didn't look like that at all <laughs> <laughs> that's introvert yeah so um I, but I can say the same thing. I mean, my I certainly had, you know, a social life and all that. I was out there doing things, but there was still that internal isolation. So, um, you know, I didn't have any spiritual belief. I didn't believe in anything. I had no spirituality going on at all. Zip. And so that was, so I wasn't socially isolated, but I was spiritually isolated. Um. And so without having any kind of spirituality in my life, my life was pretty much about achieving, accomplishing, getting things done, you know, getting that recognition, the glory, whatever in my career and that type of thing. That was it pretty much for me. There was no other thrust in my life. It was very um, isolating in the sense that it was all about me and it was all about what I could accomplish and achieve. So, um, Isolation for me looked very different than it did for you, but it's still that same isolation. Yeah, I, I think it, sound, it sounds like the internal experience is very similar, even though, as you're saying, from the outside, you know, me as an introvert, you as an extrovert, from the outside, I can see that it might look very, very different yeah. for sure. Um, one thing that comes to mind when I uh, think about what isolation was like for me is that I was some combination of unwilling and or unable. I'm not sure how much of each, maybe uh, certainly some of both, um, to share my, you know, what was going on inside me with others. From the outside, I looked very calm and quiet. Uh, on the inside, it was a very, very busy city street uh, is is more like it. it. It did not, my inner experience did not match um, my outer. And so one way that that isolation showed up is that that disconnect, you know, between what what was going on within me, my inner uh, life, uh, which was, uh, you know, busy and emotional and all kinds of things. And then sort of my outer expression, which was very quiet and even. Uh, and so I, I really didn't have the skills and I guess just based on past experience, I was not interested in gaining the skills to uh, share what was going on within me with other people. That certainly changed um, in recovery over time. Um, yeah. But that's one thing that I remember about isolation, especially early on. So again, for me, it looked really quite different from that, I would share what was going on with me with anyone who would listen, <laughs> pretty much, especially, you know, if we were drinking. <laughs> but what I was thinking about when you were talking was that um, even though I was very good at expressing myself, I was not internally connected to myself. So for me, the, the, um, the journey of finding God, let's say finding God, finding that higher power, has really culminated in a journey back to self. So getting connected with God ultimately has meant getting connected with myself. And that was the piece that was missing. I just didn't have that. I didn't have any sense of that. 
Um, I was one of those self-will run riot, you know, that our big book talks about. Um, I was a lone wolf, you know, going it alone. I had no, um, no God on board, no spiritual uh, beliefs or background or anything to support me. It was just me uh, powering through my life by the sheer force of my own will. And so that was very isolating too. I mean, I think I didn't even realize how isolating it was until I had the experience of that second step came to believe in a power greater than ourselves. And that was a miracle for me that that second step even happened to me, you know, but, um, when it did, it was definitely a game changer for sure. You know, and, and so when I was going it alone, I was filled with um, fear, a lot of fear, a lot, a lot of fear and worry, you know, because when, when I thought that I had to do it all myself or that I was sort of single-handedly holding up at least my corner of the universe, <laughs> if not yours too, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of stress for anyone. And, and so you know, that created a lot of fear and worry. Gosh, I'm creating this whole thing. I've got to make everything that I want to happen, happen by myself. And that was extremely isolating. Well, we have that in common. I, I wouldn't change a thing. What you just said was also my experience. And I had a lot of, um, you know, going it alone kind of approach to life, trying to fix things. I think I felt that any part of my life where I was unhappy meant I needed to do something. I needed to figure something out. I needed to change what I was doing. There was no real concept of the experience of an inner sense of peace that was somehow disconnected um, with, you know, my actions, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Uh, today, you know, it's quite different. I uh, my my sense of okayness internally ha is not nearly as connected with my external actions as it was at that time. So yeah, I was going it alone, trying to fix problems, particularly, you know, the sort of the 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 large issues that come up for so many of us: money and finance related stuff. Oh yes, and then also just general happiness. You know, I. I've heard it said uh, that some of us in the program sort of, we have three emotions, mad, sad, or glad. And uh, we just want to be in the glad part. And, um, you know, life is much more nuanced than just that. And anyway, so yeah, me too, going it alone, trying to fix things myself, didn't want to ask for help, didn't want to let anyone know that there was a problem. Yeah, like I say, I don't think I even realized that that was the way I was operating until it changed. You know, um, when I did come to believe in a power greater than myself and took the third step and turned my will and my life over to that power, um, suddenly I didn't have to go it alone anymore. And that was just so huge, just such a huge shift in my life. And a lot of that worry and fear that I was carrying just began to fall away. I can't even describe like how profound of a shift that was for me. I think I've told you before, I see my life in terms of before the third step and after the third step, because that was the spiritual awakening for me, you know, as an only child and Aries, I mean, I've got all of it. Like I'm super independent and that's fine, but um, I needed to have, 
you know, I needed to have a higher power spirituality in my life. Um, and it just was such a huge, profound change that solved a lot of my problems right there. You know, and it's crazy because I was a total non-believer, you know, a, a self-proclaimed atheist. Uh, so if I can come to believe in God and then, you know, almost 25 years later have become an ordained minister, <laughs> there's hope for just about anybody. You yes. know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just been a huge change in my life. Absolutely. Uh, I'm with you on that too. Um, you know, one thing I probably should have said this first, and I don't think either of us had mentioned it, drinking alone. Uh, maybe maybe this is that introvert-extrovert thing, but I did a lot of uh, drinking alone. And so one way that isolation looked for me is, um, you know, drinking at home by myself. I'll, I always remember, I have a friend uh, who shared something that their sponsor had said to them as she, you know, talked about her old her old ways, her old partying ways, you know, she liked to party. And her sponsor said, you know, the word party implies that there's more than one person there. And she's like, oh, it does? Oh, yeah, I guess it does because she must have been like me. Hey, I don't need anyone else to have a party. You know, yeah. if I'm at home and uh, and I'm drinking back when I was doing so, man, that's that's all I needed. I didn't need... Anything you know, else. you'll be surprised to know that I actually did do a fair amount of that myself. And I didn't need anybody else. I had Billie Holiday, you know, I mean, me and my <laughs> bottle of Chardonnay in the bathtub and Billie Holiday. That was my drinking at the end, pretty much. So, yeah, I was perfectly capable of having a one person party. <laughs> so even the, even the extroverts were drinking at home alone. I got to write that down. That's one. That's one for the books. Well, you know but why? Let's... Because everybody else didn't want to drink every day of the week. So well, because they didn't know how. Well, I could have taught them if they wanted, but yes, exactly. <laughs> two, there are two kinds of drinkers in the world: normal drinkers like me, and lightweights who don't get the point. Yeah. Exactly. But let's shift gears now and talk about um, uh, shift from talking about the challenge of isolation to what is the solution? Well, in unity. We affirm that all people are inherently connected to each other and to God, whether we know it or not. And we recognize that the practice of prayer gives us direct access to God consciousness. In fact, Unity's fourth principle states, through, the, through prayer and meditation, we align our heart-mind with God. So prayer and meditation is a central tool for us, and that's what we want to focus on today. But some might ask, what if I don't believe in God? You know, how do I find a higher power if I don't even like this word God and I don't believe in God? What does it even mean to say the God of my understanding? So Michelle, when you think about that, um, what comes to mind for you? What does prayer and meditation mean to you? What does the word God mean? Oh, gosh, you know, when I saw that this was going to be our topic today, I was so excited because this is basically my favorite topic, God and prayer. Um, and like I said in the last little bit, you know, I was a self-proclaimed atheist. So uh, if I can come to believe in a higher power than anyone can. And I think I've shared this story before that when I had my first sponsor, you know, and I told her, well, I don't believe in God. So what do I do? And she said, well, I have a higher power. And you can borrow mine until you get your own. 
And for whatever reason, that worked for me because I couldn't believe in it myself yet, but I could believe in the fact that she believed in it. And, you know, there's a lot of things we have to sort of do that way in recovery. You have to sort of trick ourselves into things. So it's like I was willing to become willing to believe in a higher power. Um, but the amazing thing was that as I began to work the steps, it really came quite naturally for me. I think human beings are wired to seek God. That's my personal feeling. It may look differently for different folks, but um, once I opened up that door, it didn't really take that much work for that. That you know, it's like I, there's a poem I can't remember. It might be um, Anne Sexton or something. Uh, you know, when you when you make that tiny little crack in the door, God comes rushing in. You know, and, and that's how it was for me. All I needed was that little crack and God came rushing into my life and just completely changed my life overnight. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a quote from the literature and I'm going to try and get it right because I'm just the worst. Uh, I can paraphrase really, really well. But it's along the lines of um, the deep within every, here it goes, uh, Actually, we were fooling ourselves, it said, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God, that from page 55 of yeah. the big book. And I would have to add to that, that God as that person understands God, not as I understand That's God. That's right. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm adamant about that, and that was one of the big changes for me when I realized that when we're talking about this whole God thing that I didn't believe in, that what what I didn't believe in was someone else's definition of God. Yes. It never occurred to me that uh, maybe I shouldn't blindly accept someone else's definition of God. Mm. And I mean, that was, a, that was a turning point. That was a game changer for me. When yeah. I uh, found unity, you know, and unity's... Um, basic God definition is stated in our first unity principle, which reads, there's only one presence and one power active in the universe and in my life, God, the good, yep. omnipotent. And so defining God as the one presence and the one power, that was wide enough. You know, that doorway was wide enough for me to say, okay, well, I can kind of see that. So yeah. let me move forward with that in mind and not get too wrapped up in what someone else um, may be defining God as. And, you know, that that point about my definition versus yours versus somebody else's has become really central for me. And in fact, what I teach in church every Sunday is not, you know, here's my definition of God and you need to um, agree with me, but rather here is how I discovered what the experience of God is for me. That's and I right. invite you to follow the path yourself so that you can discover for you what your experience of God is. And that right there has made all the difference in the world for me. Absolutely. I mean, that's one thing that's so wonderful about the 12 step program is it can work for everyone because it is the God of your understanding. And when I came into unity, I was delighted to find that there was a church that allowed me to have the God of my understanding as well. 
And the interesting thing about that too is the God of my understanding has changed drastically over the years. You know, it's constantly changing and evolving. So that's not even a static thing as it is. So, you know, we had the question at the beginning, how do I find God? How do I find a higher power? And uh, for me, it was prayer and meditation. Now, I can't say that I did a lot of meditation in early recovery, let's be honest here. <laughs> and my type of prayer, my approach to prayer was very different back then than it is now. But again, I see prayer as an invitation, an invitation is sort of an invitation to God to come in, but it's really an invitation to ourselves to open up to, to receive the experience of God, the presence of God. And you're absolutely right that that experience is completely um, unique and personal and individual. And it's experiential also. You know, you can talk about it all day long. But it's about experiencing that presence of God. And everyone has a different way that they do that. You know, in early recovery, I did what I was told. Get on my knees and say the third step prayer. You know, and um, it's maybe a little antiquated, but that third step prayer is darn good. I'll tell you, it's a good prayer. And, you know, so my prayers in early recovery were fairly rote. A lot of, you know, talking to God. Um, but that was how I ultimately experienced God. You know, at, at some point I began to have a true, well, I guess what we would call a mystical experience, an actual experience of God. And um, once you've had that, it, that's, you know, just completely changes everything. And so for me, prayer and meditation is seeking an awareness of God. It's not seeking God because God is already there. You know, we teach in unity. God is already there. God is that God presence is always there. It's um, seeking an awareness of that presence, opening ourselves to an awareness of that presence. And like I said, in the last part, God is just waiting to rush into that little tiny crack that we make. And I think for people that are new in the program, just open it up that, just open the door that little bit and, and just be open and watch how God rushes in. Yes. I like what you're saying about awareness. I think that's critically important and it's central for us in, in unity that, um, like you said, God is everywhere always. It's my awareness that varies. And so my prayer and meditation practice don't create God where there was none, but rather shifts my awareness such that I can be aware of the presence of God that is and always has been there, you know, yes. that, that whole concept. And one thing that helped me early on um, talking about prayer and meditation, you know, as, a, as the tool that helps us move out of isolation and into an experience of peace in our lives is the difference between what I call a talking prayer and a listening prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd always understood prayer. And then, you know, again, this is sort of an outsider's point of view, or I don't know, maybe it's common in, in uh, some mainline uh, faith traditions, but, you know, I call it the Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz prayer <laughs> that, that just kind of, you know, let, let my team win let me, you know, help me find a job, you know, looking for kind of physical outcomes as if God 
reaches down and and does things that I want God to do. Right. And that that's the piece that never really worked for me. So when I began to understand this concept of what I call a listening prayer, where I'm not talking so much as I'm just showing up to listen, kind of like, you know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to experience wild deer in the woods, I don't walk around calling out to them, right? <laughs> because I'm, 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 if I do that, I'm, I am creating a condition where I will not have that experience. But if I am willing to sit quietly and just sort of become part of the whole, uh, you know, the nature scene that's around me, sit quietly and listen and wait, then all of a sudden, uh, seeming out of nowhere, it comes walking out. Now, the deer were always there. Right. Right. But I can't see them because I'm too busy, you know, running my mouth or I'm not observing what's really going on. So that's what comes to mind for me. That's central, you know, talking versus listening. And of course, when I say prayer or prayer and meditation, I mean the listening kind. I'm so glad you said all of that. Um, there are so many different types of prayer. And thank God that there isn't just one way because different things work for different people. And frankly, different types of prayer work for me at different times. There are times when my prayers are very high-minded, very unity, very affirmative prayer. And there are times when I'm on my knees begging God to save me. And as long as I don't stay there, you know, to me, that is still a fairly high-minded prayer because it's it's a surrender. It's um, getting out, getting out of my human ego self and saying, I need the help of a higher power. I need something. I need my higher self on board. I need, you know, I need to raise my consciousness to a higher level. And so, you know, what I teach is that um, all prayer is good. All prayer is good. There's no like hierarchy of better prayers or, you know, my prayer is better than your prayer. Um, and we all have, you know, different types of prayer that work for us at different times. Um, it's interesting that my prayer practice in early recovery was a lot more of the talking prayer that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And as I've grown and matured, um, both, you know, personally and spiritually, it's become a lot less talking and a lot more listening. And, um, I just want to say about that, you know, especially for people that are in early recovery, the idea of sitting in absolute silent meditation for long periods of time can sound pretty overwhelming, but it can be taken in short pieces. Um, I, I liked, you know, a lot of people talk about the sacred pause. So just beginning to build those sacred pauses into our life at different times throughout the day, taking that deep breath and just a few moments to reset. Absolutely. And hold that thought because it is time for a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. So I hope that you will please stay with us. We're very glad to have you with us here today. Thank you. listening to Unity Online Radio, 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back, and we're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jellich. We'll resume our discussion in just a moment, but first, we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment, so please let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing first our experience of isolation um, in our active addiction and early recovery. And then we talked a little bit about coming to know a power greater than ourselves and how we use prayer and meditation to, um, to, to do that, to come to know that higher power. So Dan, now that we know that the challenge that we had was isolation and we know that the solution is prayer and meditation, How exactly does prayer and meditation lead us to a life of greater peace? Well, my first thought is, you know, one of our um, tried and true slogans, which is one day at a time, you know, one step at a time. We have uh, in spiritual traditions this image of peeling the onion, right, because it seems like everything that we do that might I might describe as a step forward, or rather, for me, often letting go of something, uh, inevitably, I circle back, and there's yet another layer to all yeah. of it. I've heard it described as we're, we're walking up toward a mountaintop, but we're doing it on a road that spirals around and around and around the mountain. So I might look out from the mountain and see a particular view, and then put my head down and huff and walk and work and huff and, and look up and see the same view. I'm like, what happened? I, I, what did I do all this work for? Why did I go through all this just to end up in the same place? Well, I'm not in the same place. I might be seeing some of the same things, but I am not in the same place. And so, you know, one little piece at a time, this is not a race. I like to be done with things. I was one of those, and I've heard many, many share this, coming into a 12-step program. It's like, oh, good. There's only 12 steps, so I can sort of check them off as I go, and then I'll be done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Only to find out, no, no, the 12 steps are a way that walks us through a process that allows us to unfold you know, what I would call a spiritual way of living, but it, yeah. the spiritual way of living doesn't have an end. No, you know, it does not. And it, and, it, and it just goes on. And so, you know, how has prayer and meditation helped me move out of that isolation we were talking about into peace a little bit at a time? Yeah. Gosh, I love everything you said. Um, you were talking about letting go and I, it reminded me of a I guess a meme or something that I've seen a picture that I've seen that says something about, you know, it shows like a really frayed rope and it says, you know, I've let go of something, you know, when the rope is like all frayed and tattered, (laughs) you know, it's typically not easy for us addicts to uh, let things go. Uh, But that was definitely my experience. I talked about how powerful the third step was for me. And um, because I was such a loner, such a go it alone, you know, 
powering through on my own self-will. That experience of turning things over to God was so profound for me and so freeing. And, uh, you know, that created peace just in itself. And I began to use it on everything, everything, you know, just turning over everything. And so, and, you know, we talked, you talked about this in the last segment about, you know, not believing that God sort of reaches down and makes things happen the way I want them to. That's certainly not what, what I mean by letting go, but letting go is much more of a surrender, um, you know, let loosening the grip on that rope so that I'm not tearing it up and tearing my hands up, you know, just loosening that grip and um, opening up myself to a higher consciousness, to to spiritual guidance, um, opening myself up to access my own higher self that always knows better for me than my ego self does. And so that was my experience, you know, beginning to turn things over. And in early recovery, I loved our saying, let go and let God. And I think it was just because I was such a kind of a control freak. So for me, that particular idea of letting go and letting God was especially profound and uh, just instantly created so much more peace in my life that, like I mentioned before, you know, all that worry and fear, you know, when you think you're doing it all yourself, that's scary. And so having the idea that there was something that some power that had my back was, uh, you know, just a total game changer for me. And I suddenly had so much more peace in my life than I ever had before. Yeah. And even if that power is, um, you know, sometimes we'll distinguish between the lowercase m mind and yes. divine mind or lower, you know, lowercase s self and, and uppercase s self. Um, and the difference can be a matter of um, being willing to, uh, let my chatter mind, you know, the, in the East, there's a saying, the monkey mind, you know, the busy, busy, busy mind, that internal monologue that seemingly never stops. That is a product of my lowercase m mind, which is based largely on separation and self-preservation. And right. it's a powerful tool, but I don't want it running my whole life because it doesn't know anything about this thing I call God. And so for some of us, um, the idea of setting aside. So when we say let go and let God, which I also love, let go of the idea that my chattering mind is the entirety of my life experience yeah. and let that silent big part, that divine presence, that uppercase S self, the one that's not worried, that doesn't see in terms of separation, that sees in terms of unity, um, that sees that underneath it all, all is well. Let that come in and balance this picture some. So that phrase, let go and let God, that works in a, it works for a traditional view or what we call classic theism, classical theism that, you know, posits that this external God, you know, it's a stereotype, mm -hmm. but the bearded old man on a cloud, but it also works in the way that we look at it in new thought, recognizing that that, that divine mind presence is within us always. And it's a matter of flipping our attention 
from the chatter mind, the lowercase, to the divine mind or the or, or the large case self. So I love that phrase too, because to me it works in any theology. It doesn't matter, you know, if you have a traditional view or if you have a new thought view or if you have you know, a view that we find, say, in the contemplative progressive Christian paths, it still works. And sometimes we have different views of God at different times in our life. You know, we learned in seminary yeah. a lot about that whole spiral dynamics thing. And uh, typically humans, when we're under great stress, we sort of move down the spiral a little bit. We revert to more, um, gosh, I don't want to use the wrong words. I don't want to say more traditional, but we revert, we tend, I know I, let me speak for myself. When I'm under great stress, um, I revert to more of that God outside of me helping me, you know? Um, but I've really gotten to the point where that's okay. That's okay because that's not where I stay and I'm not there all the time. And um, like I said before, that can be a very high minded surrender as well. Absolutely. So we employ different types of prayer and different understandings of God. Um, I, in my ministry, I like to use a lot of different words for God because at any given time, any one of those terms might resonate more with me myself. So I can only imagine that others have the same experience too. And it's only been in the last few years that I've been able to start to see God as um, my own higher self. I really did sort of need that God that was, um, I guess you could say outside of me or separate from me, but, and not to get into a, you know, theological rabbit hole, but there is a certain projecting of God outside of myself so that I can be in relationship with that God. And I think that's a very natural human thing to do. Hard to be in a relationship with yourself, right? And so I think that's why sometimes at least I project God outside of me so that I can then be in that I thou relationship, which is so yeah. fulfilling and so profound. And like I say, um, that's not the entirety of my theology or the entirety of my understanding of God. Um, but it is a part, it is a part of it. So I really like what you said, you know, and, and in my church, we like to say when we, when we're announcing the prayer chaplains that are going to be available that day, we always say, you know, God, uh, prayer doesn't change God, but it changes us. And I'll tell you, when I first started hearing that, that really chafed me. I was like, you know, because it seemed to be saying that prayer only changed me and didn't do anything outside. And now I see that differently. It's like you said, God is God is that unchanging, infinite presence of love and goodness that is always there. We're not going to change God. But I do believe that prayer can change things on the outside. I do believe that prayer um, has an outer effect. It begins with an inner shift. And then, like our third principle states, it begins to manifest in the outer. And I do believe in the power of praying for others. Um, I don't even need to know exactly how it works. I only know that I believe that it does. And so prayer for me becomes a time to remember that presence of God. Like you said, to quiet the mind, even if just for a few moments, that ego mind really wants to be in control and really wants to be just constantly throwing a lot of stuff at us. And so even just taking a few moments to quiet that um, chatter a little bit and become aware of the presence of God can really change your whole day, can change your whole perspective. 
And that in turn does change the way things outpicture. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to put it because when I change what's inside of me, what, what I perceive outside of me also changes. I might see things I didn't see before. Things that were large might now be small and things that were small might be large. Things that were invisible might now be visible. Or as I, I, I love the phrase, uh, there's a door where before there was no door. Yeah. You know, there is a way forward where before there was no way because I couldn't see it. But now yeah. that I now I can see it. You know, when we talk about prayer and meditation, I always remember that there's two there are two basic flavors. And I'm talking about personal prayer. I'm not talking about, you know, praying with others. That's one style and approach. A right. public prayer, like I'm gonna, you know, we're we're gonna cut the ribbon on this new building site or whatever. And if someone has asked you as a member of clergy to share some words, that's a very different kind of thing unto itself. Right. I'm talking about personal prayer, which can take the form of uh, formal or informal, right? A formal prayer practice is like a sitting, um, you know, I think of it as a sitting meditation practice. You know, right. each morning if I get up and I have my cushion or I sit in the same chair or whatever, and I might set a timer and I set aside that time to, to do my spiritual practice, my formal practice. That's one way of doing it. Right. Uh, the informal way, which is uh, also very helpful. I mean, ideally I'm doing both. The informal way is I'm at, I'm at a stoplight and my mind has been racing and I can feel that I'm getting anxious about something and I can sort of check myself, pause a moment, take a breath, turn my attention within and remember and recognize the presence of God in and through and as me and as all things. And again, I'm just trying to balance out my mental chatter with the presence of God that is truly uh, everywhere always. Uh, regardless of how I conceive of it, um, it is everywhere always. And if I can just come more into balance, in fact, that is, I'm learning the sort of the ancient, in the ancient wisdom traditions, that's what wisdom is. It is an even balance of mind, heart, and body. Yeah. You know, we have body intelligence that we're as a group, you know, fairly obtuse with in the West, um, that's a growing area for me. I'm trying to become more body aware. Uh, the thinking part, I got that down. I was born doing that. You know, I can problem solve all day long. Uh, the problem, if I want to call it that, with thinking is not that I'm good at it or not good at it or whatever. It's I'm doing too much of it in relation to the heart connection way of showing up in the world and the, and the body intelligence way of showing up in the world. And so balancing those things is what wisdom is. And so that's one approach that I find helpful. So whether I'm doing a formal prayer practice or an informal practice, uh, what I'm doing is consciously uh, opening myself to a better balance of uh, heart, mind, and body. And if, if I, when I get in that balance, then, you know, perceiving the presence of God is a no brainer. It's just there. Yeah. No pun intended about the no brain part, <laughs> but 
you know, I don't, I don't need to look for God, uh, find God, do certain things in order to experience God. I realize I am, I exist in a field of godness, as we like yeah. to say sometimes. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, getting the brain out of the way. Uh, you know, the other thing is, I think sometimes we expect the experience of God to be like this big, you know, boom or something. And the truth is, is that God is very subtle and very quiet. God is that peace. So when I quiet the fears and the chatter, even just for a moment, that peace that I experience, that's God. That is God. Yes. That's the default. That's the background, the ground of being. That is what is underlying this whole deal. And then our human ego self has layered over all this stuff on top of it. So prayer and meditation is just a time to recall that, to recall that below, below the surface level of all the fear and the worries and the chatter and the craziness, there is another level to me. And it's, I'm always surprised when I find it too, you know, it's like, whoa, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and, you know, it's only been in the past like five years or so that meditation has really become a part of my daily life. Um, it was not, you know, really my preferred activity for a long time. And in some just bizarre twist of fate. I'm now sort of the meditation guru at my church. <laughs> How did this happen? Um, but again, it's because like, if I can do it, then anybody can do it. And so what I try to teach about meditation is again, like we expect God to be this big, you know, booming thunderous thing. I think we also expect meditation to be really complicated and that we're going to have this, you know, huge enlightened experience every time we sit down to meditation. Yeah. And that has not been my experience at all. Um, for me, meditation, you know, sometimes looks like a formal 20, 30 minute practice, sometimes looks like five minutes of taking slow, deep breaths and focusing on my breath and getting quiet. Um, it looks a lot of different ways. The thing that worked for me, and that's why I want to share this, is that I got to a point where I committed myself to a daily meditation practice, but the, the crucial part was it only had to be five minutes. That was the commitment I made to myself. And I did it right before I started seminary. And thank God I did that because I don't know that I would have made it through seminary had I not had that practice on board. Um, five minutes a day, that was my self-commitment. Now, if I did 15, 20, 30, that's great. But if I did five, I had made, you know, I had made good on my commitment to myself. And sometimes it is only five minutes. That's my truth, you know. But to me, it's the daily practice of it. And there's a cumulative effect over time. And so, and it's not this, it's sometimes it's a very profound mystical experience, but mostly it's not. It's just a practice. And um, it's like exercising a muscle. You know, I love Tara Brock and she always talks about um, every time, you know, when we're meditating and we're focusing on our breath and then the mind starts up with the chatter and starts throwing out ideas, you know, how about this? How about this? You want to grab this? You know, come on. <laughs> every time we just go, okay, thanks for sharing and come back to the breath, which is my practice. It's not to try not to think. It's not to try to have a blank mind. It's every time the thought comes up. I bless it on its way and come back to my breath. Tara calls that exercising that muscle. The more we do that, the more 
you know, the stronger that pathway back to self, back to quiet, back to the breath, that pathway gets stronger and stronger. And it, you know, it likely will not be some profound experience, but after you've put together a few 24 hours of meditating at least five minutes a day, I guarantee your life will change. There's no way that it cannot change. So that's my it's like the meditation. answering that question, how has prayer and meditation helped me move from isolation to peace? I have no idea, but yeah. doing it has, yeah. you know, that, that's how it's, I don't know how it works exactly, but I know how it has worked in my life and yeah. it's just doing it. Yeah. Just like you said, it's by practicing it almost without expectation is yeah. a big part of it. Cause honestly, and I agree with you, it is in a sense a mundane activity. I would also love a chorus of angels and a score from one to 100. How did I do with my prayer this time? Oh. You know, what's my running average? Oh, I'm getting an A in prayer because I always get 90 something. Yay. You know, that's that, that's that lowercase m mind that's that right. functions yeah. on separation and measurement and um, isolation. Uh, th that's where that thing's kicking in. How did we do? You know, what color is our belt? You know, what grade are we in? What <laughs> level am I at? And my mind does all that too. But in, in reality, my experience has been like yours. It is largely, substantially, perhaps even almost all the time. Uh, it feels like a very mundane thing to do that my mental mind chatter does not want me to do mm -hmm. because it begins to undermine its sovereignty. Right. And, it, and what it what what happens is that it, I begin to see that there is much more than just that. Well, what more? Well, I call the more God, whatever that is. I don't know. Uppercase S self, divine mind, the observer. You know, there's such a long list of uh, words and labels, signposts that we could put on it. It's almost like, you know, I, I want prayer, like pretend that a. Uh, the result of prayer is the Grand Canyon. So if I go look at the Grand Canyon today, it's this gigantic thing. And in my head, if I was making a movie, there'd be no Grand Canyon. Then boom, lightning, and there's God. And, da -da -da, da -da -da, and 30 seconds later, there's the Grand Canyon. Yeah. You know how it happened in reality? There was a little trickle of water. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe a little a river slowly, slowly yeah. cut it. How boring is that? Well, guess what? That's the way it works. That yes. right there is more representative. But let's change gears now and turn our attention to a question or a comment from our listeners. So here's one um, that's come in often that we hear. Something along the lines of, I don't like the word God. How can I be a part of a recovery community? Mm -hmm. Well, you don't have to use the word God, first of all. There are a lot of other words that many of us employ, spirit, um, divine mind, source, the all in all, mother, father, God. I mean, you know, you could call it anything you want, really. It's not about what we call it. And so luckily we have that freedom both within the 12-step program and in our unity denomination. And people use a lot of different words for God. And like I mentioned before, your understanding of God will grow and change and expand as you grow spiritually. Um, I know mine has, it's never, you're never done. You've never like, okay, I've got God now I'm done. Um, it's always changing. My understanding of God is always in flux. 
always changing and but hopefully always expanding up and out getting bigger more inclusive um and so like we've said before all that you need to do is seek god that's all you need to do just seek god seek that awareness seek that um open up that door open that that crack and yeah that's that all you one do. foot in, one foot in front of the other which seems like nothing like well what is this going to do or, or I've heard the joke, you know, I'd love to run a marathon, but this one foot in front of the other thing is for the birds. I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, guess what? A marathon is literally a chain of one foot in front of the other. That's all you have to do. The rest seemingly unfolds on its own. Just let it do so. But yeah, I don't like, if I don't like the word God, how can I be a part of a recovery community? I can use a different word like spirit. I can practice, we used to do BYOB to a party. How about BYOG? Bring your own God. Borrow, like you said with your sponsor, borrow somebody else's God. Um, look at it as that phrase, God, as I understand God. So you qualify it, meaning I'm not sure I know. I know it's not what you seem to think is different than that. And, and that's fine. And let it grow and change. Let it be whatever it might need to be. Let it be. So we always like to leave you with an affirmation that you can um, repeat quietly to yourself and that you can take with you throughout the week. So today our affirmation is, in times of quiet prayer and meditation, I connect with the God of my understanding. Yes, I love it. I'll repeat that. In times of quiet prayer and meditation, I connect with the God of my understanding. Well, we have come to the end of our time here together, and we hope that you found something that will help you on your recovery path. So thank you, Reverend Michelle, again for our discussion, and thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey, knowing that you are in the good and right place, right where you are, right where you need to be. Absolutely. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.